we're talking about change and it all begins with Jesus. I wonder if you've ever tried to change something about yourself. Why don't you pause for a moment and think about that one thing in your life that you've wanted to change. You know you've needed to change. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a behavior. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a way of looking at things. Well, how did you go with that? Was it easy or are you still wrestling with it? About a week and a half ago, I was sitting at my desk at home and I took my glasses off and I put them on my seat. I just needed to have a break. I needed to have a stretch of my legs. And so I did that. I put my glasses down on my chair and I went outside. I took a break, stretched my legs, and then I came back in. And when I came back into the office, I promptly sat back in my chair. And as I sat back in my chair, I felt my weight pressed down on something. And as I looked behind me and as I actually sat up, I saw my glasses and they were absolutely and totally obliterated. I mean, both arms were broken off. One of the lenses had popped out and uh, they were just all over the place. So I picked them up and I thought, maybe this is like one of the Meccano sets. I could just sort of put it back together again. And so I tried, but to no avail. So what I had to do is I took them next door to the optometrist and I said, I'm sorry that this has happened. I just sat on my glasses. They said, well, the good news for you is that we have a warranty and it's still under warranty. I said, really? They have a warranty for stupidity? And they said, yeah, we can actually send them off. And so what they did is they taped up my glasses. And so they sat on my face a little bit like kind of skewed to the side like this for a few days whilst they were waiting for the new frames to arrive. Well, they sent me a message. I went over next door. Uh, they took my glasses and they popped out the lenses. They put them into a new frame. And here they are today. If only change in our lives was as simple as putting in an order to the warranty to the manufacturer. But it's not, isn't it? In fact, when someone comes to place their trust in Jesus, he accepts us exactly where we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He wants to transform us and change us into his very likeness, the full humanity of who he is, because he's got a job for people to do. He wants us to reflect the living attitude and nature and personnel and behavior of the creator maker of the world into his world and bring order to it, just like he's ordering our lives. So this morning, today, I want to talk about change. And Paul, as he's writing to a group of Jesus followers who have encountered Jesus in their lives, He puts pen to paper and he wants to talk to them about the new life that's come into being since they said yes to him. And as he thinks about these things, he's recalling the time in his own life when he used to go around killing Jesus followers for believing that Jesus was the new king, the new Lord, the Messiah of the world, and that God had come to earth and transformed creation and was beginning a new creation. And as he went about the empire doing that, he had a radical encounter of his own with Jesus personally. And as he reflects back upon those things, he has this, this idea that emanates and sort of um, that, that, that just bubbles up from within inside of him such that he can say that it's actually the love of Jesus. It's the love of God that compels him to want to go throughout the empire and tell other people about the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done and what he's doing and what he will complete one day. And so he writes to them. And he says these words, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. 
Now, Paul isn't talking necessarily about your next door neighbor or, or the friend, your work colleague or a school buddy. He's actually stepping back and he's drawing a picture of the entire world. See, the world was divided into two people groups. There was the Jewish people and then there was the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And what characterized the Gentile world is that they would uh, worship the gods and goddesses of of Rome and Greece. Um, And he says, you know, when they were doing those things and when they were ignorant about God and his plan for their lives, when they didn't know anything about Jesus, it's as though their lives were caught up just following their appetites and their desires. They did what was pleasing to themselves. He said, if you like, they didn't only just not know about Jesus, it's like their heart was a bit hardened to God and God's plans for their life. It's in some ways, it's just that they were caught up just following after the pattern and the nature of what their wills and their wanters wanted. And some of it was darkened and some of it was disoriented. And he said, you remember, because that was part of what the life was like for you before you came to know Jesus. So I want to tell you this, don't live like that anymore. I want you to, to change. I want you to embrace the change that God wants to bring in your life to make him more like him. And he impresses in a little bit deeper and he says, but remember that your former way of life was not how you learned the king. That's how you learned Jesus, how you learned the Messiah, how you, how you learned who he was. Because remember, when you came to know him, you were taught about him. And, and if you like, he put out a whole new wardrobe of clothes before you. And he said, what I want you to do is start to wear the clothes that are like me, which means you're going to have to put some of the old clothes aside. So Paul goes on and he says this, there's some things that you should take off about your former lifestyle. There's some things that you should put on about your new humanity. And to do that, you're going to have to have a renewed mind. I want to talk to you about a renewed mind because this is what you need to do. I wonder during the COVID time, how you've got with your clothing. You know, there are some people in my household who go around the entire day in their pajamas. Can you believe that? I wonder if you're listening in this morning and you haven't changed your clothes for weeks. Some people love that. There's Nikki with her Ugg boots and she might be walking around the house. Some of you are probably wearing the same clothes. Some of you are thinking that you're getting a little bit smelly and you should wash some of those clothes. But others of you, you still wake up every morning and you pick some clothes that you think are fitting for the day ahead. Paul says... When you come to know Jesus, if you like, there's a new wardrobe. It's not as though everything needs to be discarded from it, but there's some new things that need to be added. There's some things that you need to put off. You need to take away. There's some old, outdated clothing that no longer fits anymore. And there's some new ones that I want you to put on. (laughs) You see, these ones, they're life-giving. They're powerful. They want to change your life. But you need to put them on. And then he has this most gritty five-fold set of, if you like, grounded, earthy ways of explaining what he means. And he just sort of lists them off one after the other. You're ready for them? Because here they come. This is kind of the straight-talking Paul way of just saying and telling it how it is. The first thing he says this. He says, number one, what does that new clothing look like? It means that you need to stop lying and start telling the truth. He said, in your former lifestyle, if you had the clothing which was the lying kind, I want you to stop wearing that clothing and I want you to start telling the truth. 
You see, the reason why he says this is that someone who's caught up in just telling little lies, maybe just telling subtle deviances and sort of uh, not quite accurate, he says the problem with that is it erodes the very foundation of the relationships around you. If you like it, it erodes trust. Some of you would have heard me tell the story before about Mr. Selfridge of Selfridge's, the department store. Many years ago, apparently, he and his financial officer used to share the same office. Well, one day a telephone call came through and they asked after Mr. Selfridge. And it just so happened that his financial officer answered the phone. Well, he put his hand over the phone and he said, Mr. Selfridge, the call's for you. And Mr. Selfridge said back to him, tell them I'm not here. To which the financial officer handed him the phone and said, you tell him yourself. Well, you can imagine if you said that to your boss, how he might respond. Well, after the conversation was had and the phone was put down, he turned to his financial officer and this is what he said. Mr. Selfridge, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. And he said at that very moment, he became the most trusted, respected person in the entire outfit. And he worked for him for many, many years. You see, when someone buys into lying, they're eroding the whole, any foundation of trust that relationships are built upon. That's why Paul says, I want you to stop lying and I want you to start telling the truth. Because when you come to know Jesus, you're part of the same family, you're part of the same body, you're part of the same building. And could you imagine what it would be like if everyone started telling lies to one another? Well, it would erode the whole. In fact, Paul was just trying to say to them, I want you to walk the highway. It's too easy to walk the low road. I want you to walk the higher road. It might be harder, but I tell you this, the views are better. The air is cleaner And it's honoring to God. Stop lying. Start telling the truth. And then he presses on. That's just the first one. The second one, he says this. I want you to control your anger. He says, I don't want you to be in that situation where you are always getting out of control. And you're like that uh, volcano, Mount Vesuvius, that just continually erupts. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you're not allowed to ever get angry. That's just part of a normal, if you like, emotion. Sometimes there's good anger. Sometimes there's bad anger. Have you ever come across someone, though, that is not in control of their anger? Have you ever come across someone who it's so easy for them to just kind of explode at the drop of a hat? You see, when you're around those people, it's as though you're always walking on eggshells. You never know where you stand. You never know where your footing is. And, and Paul what says, if you've come from a household, if you've come a family, if you've come from a family of origin and where anger is just a normal, natural part of your outworking, if you've been involved in employment, where just getting angry and, and paying out on someone is just what you normally do, he says, I want you to stop that. And I want you to get in the habit of sorting it out. I want you to become in control of your desires. I want you to become in control of your emotions. Because if not, the kind of the destruction that just, if you like, leaks through the hole is just profound and powerful. He says, what's more, if you don't get control of your anger, 
what you're doing is you're actually opening the door and letting all the other dark powers and forces of the devil himself just kind of invite into your life. Because if you don't deal with your anger, that will soon lead to a resentment. And if you hold on to resentment, that'll lead to a certain bitterness. And when you get bitter towards someone or something, there's no sense of what kind of twisted thinking and behaviors and responses you will do in order to get even. He says, no, that way just leads to darkness and death and destruction. So what I want you to do is control your anger. Even more so, before the sun goes down, set aside times to actually try and sort it out. Whew. You see, what Paul's trying to say to them is, I want you to put on a new set of clothing and take off the old set. Why? I want you to walk a higher road. It might be harder, but I tell you this, the views are better, the air's cleaner, and it's honoring to God. And then he presses on the third one. This is what probably my favorite. Out of them all, this is my favorite. He says, if you've been caught up into a life of thieving, I want you to stop thieving. He says, if, if you're in the habit of, of in your family of origin or maybe in your workspace or wherever it is, of, of actually just stealing things and taking things because it's easy money, it's an easy way for you to get ahead. If that's just been the sort of preoccupation with your life or you just think, oh, it's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it grows... And so sooner or later, that'll get hold of you. So what I want you to do is stop your thieving. And I love this because just the complete opposite of this, he says, I want you to start working. Instead of having idle hands, I want you to have sort of energetic working hands towards a good outcome. And this is why this, is, this just subverts the whole thing. He says, because I want you to get into the practice of starting with share the, with your finances and your resources with the people around about you rather than taking from them. I tell you what, this is, that's, that, that's the sort of clothing, it's the clothing of heaven. He said, I want you to take the higher road, he says. I don't want you to take the low road that you'd been walking. I want you to take the high road because the high road, it might be harder to walk that way. But I tell you what, the air is cleaner and the views are better <laughs> and it's honoring to God. And then he presses on to the fourth one. I mean, these are the most grounded, practical things you could imagine, are they not? He says, if you've grown up in a family of origin and you're in a workplace or in a school or in a sporting club and, and you are into gutter talk, he says, I want you to stop the gutter talk and I want you to start using your talk to build other people up. I mean, have you ever been around someone who kind of has the, the gutter talk, the trash talk? It's just a normal part of their life. It's a normal part. Sometimes most people don't even know they're doing it. But the problem that Paul has and the problem with gutter talk is that usually what it does is have the impetus of wanting to just pull people down. Usually what it does, if it's the, uh, uh, the uncleaner kind, it takes particularly female body parts and subverts them and sort of uses them in a derogatory way. All of the kind of trash talk, gutter talk, he says it just pulls people and tears people down. That's just what it does. He says, but I want you to put on the new clothing it might be harder, but I want you to walk the higher path. You see that the air's cleaner up there. <laughs> the views are better. And it's honoring to God. He says, what I want you to do is start using your mouth and start using it to build other people up. I wonder if you've ever come into contact with someone who has just learnt the art of being able to slice and dice and tear people down without even the inclination of a thought. 
They've used to learn to use their mouth as a weapon that can just cut and hack into people. You know the power and the effect it has to diminish other people around you. And Paul says, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to find your talk in the gutter or trash talk and pull people down. I want you to be the kind of person that actually uses their talk to build people up. Why? So that other people will actually want to be around you. Have you noticed how you gravitate towards the people who just have this gracious, uplifting nature? Who use their words to just sort of shape and mold and encourage rather than tear apart. He says, I want you to stop the gutter talk and start the building up. Why? (laughs) It might be a harder road. It might be a harder way. But the air's cleaner up there. The views are better. And it's honoring to God. And then the fifth one, which touches over into the next chapter, which we didn't read this morning, but it's there and it's very clear. Paul says, what I want you to do is stop gratifying yourself and start giving thanks to God. And what he has in mind is this idea of the the word that's used is fornication. This is something that it's really even hard to speak about today because, because our world is so out of odds with this way of thinking that people might even just chuckle when they hear it. What Paul's talking about is a greedy kind of lifestyle that says, I just want more. I just want more money. And I want more sexual experiences outside of the context of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. He says, because in that place, there's this a whole place, a place of intimacy, a place of bondedness, a place of connection. And that's the way in which it was designed and made in the first place. He said the idea of just sort of chasing after momentary instant gratification through sexual pleasure or just the wanton more of greed and accumulation of more stuff, he says, is actually nothing more than just kind of turning inwardly and worshipping yourself. He says the way in which I want you to do is turn outwardly and start to give thanks to the God who renews life. You see the way in which the Bible talks about sex actually starts off as it being good. Tragically, over the centuries, the church has often got this wrong and they've taught about it in like a bad way, as though it's something that should be ashamed of. No. When you start with the book of the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, there's this sort of celebration of intimacy between a man and a woman, of sexual sort of experience together being something that's whole and that's good. And not only is it good, but it's also powerful. How so? Because it actually has the the potential and the possibility and the outworking of creating new life. And so when God sort of in, in first, if you like, created or gave it as a good gift to human beings, it wasn't a surprise to him. It was actually something to be treasured and something that was good and something that was to be an outworking of powerful creativity. And so even more so, it has this expression of this this. This idea of it gives people an insight into the very nature of who God is. That as God exists as Father, Son and Spirit, the same intimacy that's formed when there's a bond of sexual encounter experiencing together in the the bonds of a marriage relationship is supposed to be something that reflects the very nature of who God is and that intimate expression. In fact, it's so powerful that it'll bond two human beings together. It'll draw them deeper into intimacy that only that that sort of encounter, that experience will be able to do. It's a bonding kind of powerful gift. And if you like, it also has this paradigm, this picture of the way in which the world will be one day. 
That is that heaven and earth coming together just as man and woman coming together. That's the future that kind of points in a new direction about the way in which the world will be one day. This coming together, this unifying. And so in collecting all those things together, the bonding power, the expression of what the very intimacy of what God is like, the coming together of heaven and earth, this good gift that's pleasurable and pleasing that creates life. He says, for all of those reasons that Jesus' followers have always affirmed that sexual gratification is to be placed within inside the context of a committed, lasting relationship between a man and a woman because that's where it thrives and flourishes and has its best health. I mean, some of you who are listening now have experienced the, the pain of being torn apart the pain of when that has been misappropriated in ways he hadn't anticipated. And so what Paul's actually is, is saying to them is, what I want you to do is don't lead a life that's just chasing after the more of self-gratification, but what I want you to do is shift your heart and worship towards the living God. And there's some people in our social sciences now who are actually saying that who you really are is the sum total of your desires within. In fact, I've heard some social sciences even say now, make the suggestion that to not satisfy your sexual desires, to actually resist them, to, to actually put them in a place, to, to actually keep some of them at arm's distance is nothing more than tantamount to destruction and destroying your true self. It's, it's tantamount to abusing your own body. I mean, could you imagine that? What they're effectively saying is that you as a human being are not in control of your desires, your appetites. And what it's also asserting is that when Jesus, when he died on the cross and he has authority over all things, that his authority doesn't reach into those parts of your life. It's ineffective. He doesn't have authority over all things. And so Paul presses in this moment and he says, remember, I want you to... to Put on this new kind of clothing that might seem out of joint to the rest of the world because you're God's holy people. In fact, earlier on, it says that he's recreating you to make you more like right, righteous and, and in, according to God's holiness. I mean, what do those concepts even mean? I mean, some intellectually say, well, it means being set apart. And others have this idea of it's just this moral perfection as though you're ho-hum and holier than now. But that is just so... Narrow and so limited in its capacity about what holiness is all about. I want you to picture three images that just gives you a little bit of insight into the provocation of what this word really is and what it means. I want you to picture yourself standing before an ocean. You know, in the times when you've stood on a beach and you've just looked out and sometimes you, you see the, the wind and the waves stirring up the ocean and you get this sense that it's powerful but then if you stand by the shore at the edge of the water long enough, you know that it retreats. It has some symmetry to it. It comes in and out. There's a rhythm and a routine. There's an order to this disorder. It's both powerful and there's something evocative about it. There's a, a beauty when the wind's blowing in the right direction that forms waves. And, and it just instills this sense of there's something bigger and stronger and more powerful than you. Hold that thought for a moment. 
And then I want you to walk with me and I want you to picture you're standing in front of a great chasm, a great canyon. I mean, have you ever walked to, to a place that is just so beautiful out in nature? And as you've walked and you've seen this spectacular view that just unfolds before you, there's this sense of awe and wonder. It kind of just wells up from inside of you. And as it does so, it kind of draws you. Have you ever felt that experience of when you come into a great open expanse how you just want to walk up to the edge as though you were bewitched for a moment and you were being drawn in and allured to something that is awesome and majestic and powerful and beauty. And there's something that just rises up within you that wants to sort of say thanks to someone or something that's behind it because there's this powerful sense of gratitude and allure and attraction. And then the third image I want you to have is an encounter that a friend of mine once had when I said to him, have you ever had a religious experience in your life? And he says, well, there was one. I remember fishing on the Goulburn River one day and it was summer evening and a friend of mine we were just casting our lines and there was the this quiet warmth and the air had just filled the valley and everything seemed really still and in just a moment as we were standing amongst us this this whole flock of ducks and it just came down and they all landed simultaneously on the water and landed as one he says there was just this symmetry to it this order and I said he said I looked at my friend and I just went Wow. You see, you collect all of those thoughts, all of those evocative images. You wrap it up together and that even just slightly approximates God's otherness, his holiness, who he is. And Paul's saying to them, what I want you to do is I I want you to walk the higher road, even though it might be harder. But I tell you, the air is better up there and the views are better and it's honoring. But because one day that which we've just described, God's holiness, his wonder, his majesty, all of that awesomeness will be your home. Because that's where you belong and that's who you truly are. He says, so this the whole idea of being holy is not just holier than now, that kind of look down your nose, but it's actually the truly human way one day when God will fill this earth with all of that wonder and power and might. He says, that's your destiny, who you're becoming. So the whole idea of someone who then says, I don't want to put on any of those new clothes is kind of like an oxymoron. It's like someone who's been working all their life to actually play AFL football and they're finally picked and they arrive on football day. They put all their clothes on and they say, actually, come to think about it, I actually like soccer. Or maybe they've been selected in MasterChef and they've been selected to be one of the chefs that creates all these new exquisite dishes. But at the end of it, they actually arrive on the day and they say, I don't want to cook any more dishes. I'm just happy with the ones that I have. <laughs> this is what I want you to do when you come to know Jesus. He changes something in your heart. He changes something in your thinking. So that you want to get rid of some old things and you want to put on some new things. Because that's who you are being made to be. And one day that will be your home. And so how do we? How do we actually change well paul says this i want you to take off the former lifestyle i wonder if you're here this morning and there's some things that as you're hearing me talk that god's tapping you on the shoulder about and you've believed the lie that you cannot change because there's some forces and powers in your life that are just bigger than you well it might feel like that 
But I think the first thing that Paul would want to say is, I want you to remember who you are. Remember when that moment you came to know Jesus and he poured his spirit into your life? He says, who you are is whose you are and where you are right now. You have been seated with him in the heavenlies and that's where you belong and that's your future home and heaven is coming to earth. And I want you to know that you can take off the old clothes, the former lifestyle. They no longer have power over you. Or it might be true that you still experience the longing to wanting to put some of those clothes on. There might be some times in which you put some of those old clothes back on and you find them you don't quite fit the same way. He says, but I want you to know that you can put them aside. And the first thing is believing in your heart and mind that who you are is whose you are and where you are and you are seated with him. You are a child of God. The second thing he says I want you to do is I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Some years ago, when I was studying over in the U.S., the principal of the Bible college where I was studying was sitting in the chapel. One day, a student walked in and found him reading his Bible. And the student said, what are you doing? And the president of the Bible college said, I'm renewing my mind. You see, what I think he was trying to say is that when I read the words of this book, I somehow encounter God and he does some reordering of my thinking because in the everyday world experiences I have, there's all these different kinds of directions and motivations and all this different kind of way of thinking that can clutter my head. What I want to do is I want to renew it. I want to reorder it. You know, some of you who are listening this morning, have heard other people encourage you. You should read the Bible and you should pray. And if you have heard us just say those words that as though that will fix everything, I just want to apologize to you. Because what we've always been wanting to try to say and get across is that it's not just about reading the Bible or praying, but the most profound, important thing you can do as a follower of Jesus is set aside time each day to meet with your Creator. And the Bible and prayer and some worship in song or going for walks out or serving other people are just ways of doing that. The most critical, important thing that you can do in your life is learn to have a conversation with your maker in which you open up your heart and mind to him so that he can pour his life into you. Last week on the Alpha course, we were covering why read the Bible. And I said to the people who are listening in for the first, why should someone read the Bible? And one of the answers that came was, it's because when you encounter with it, you encounter the living God and it transforms and changes something about you. So I remember a time in my life when I was at university. Yeah, I believed in Jesus. I'm not sure how much I really heartfelt followed him. And I remember there was a time in my life where the one thing I began to do was listening to worship music in my car. We used to have these things called cassettes. You used to place them in and you used to hit a go button and there used to be a reel and there used to be music. And I remember as I drove to university, I began to open up my heart and from the depth of my being, I just began to have conversation with God and pour out thanks to him for who he was. And as I found myself doing that, I found that some of the rough edges in my life began to be shaved off. You know, some of that pride, some of that defiance, some of that, I, I've got it, I can do this myself. And I found myself being messed with in a good way. And it began when I started to actually say, I don't want to worship myself anymore, if you like. I want to worship the living God. And when I began to do that, 
I found that he began to pour himself into me and transform me and started to reorder my thinking and started to reorder the way in which I felt about other people around me. He says, that's the kind of renewing that makes a difference. Too often in the, the church culture, if you like, what we've sought for as behavior modification has been a really short, shallow thing to the thing we're really after, which is change from the inside and from the heart. You see, Jesus don't, doesn't want you to just modify your behavior. He wants to transform you from the inside out. And it begins when people like you and I humble ourselves and open up our heart and say, God, you are worthy. Would you talk to me? Would you speak to me? Would you renew my mind? You see, so when someone is actually in the habit and the practice of doing that, it's possible then to put on the new humanity, to put on the new clothes. So for the person who says, I've grown up all my life and I've learned to cut people down and tear them apart. No, you don't have to do that anymore. You can put on a new clothes, which is starting to use your mouth to build other people up. For the person who says, I've been into stealing and cheating and lying to others so I can sort of get ahead and look after myself, but now I'm learning to work with my hands so I can give and share to other people. So when you start to put that clothing on, it will feel a little bit uncomfortable. But I tell you this, the more you start to wear it, the more it'll feel like it fits. And it starts with God doing a work in you and then transforming and empowering you to live that out. So before Corona hit, I used to go down to Aquanation and in the winter time, I would cycle my bike. Why? Because I was looking for some change in my health. You know, when I'd cycle the bike, I'd go through the same routine, get on and I'd start to pedal. And for the first eight minutes, it feels comfortable. But then from minutes eight to 12, everything changes. My energy systems change over. I begin to profusely sweat. It gets hard and it gets arduous. But I tell you what, it's between minutes 8 to 12 that the change happens. And I know that if I keep at it and keep peddling, that my energy systems will change over and it won't be as hard as what it felt like at come minute 13. But the change is always between minutes 8 to 12 and it feels uncomfortable. It feels different. It feels like it's hard and I want to give up. And it says that's where change happens. And for the person who puts on the new clothing and decides to put off the old clothing, it'll be like it's fitting differently and it's tight and it just doesn't right. But he says, if you actually endure and move through the, the four minute mark, it'll become like it's a more of a second nature. You see what Paul's asking you and I to do is to put on a new set of clothing. Why? <laughs> Why would you put on a new set of clothing? Because one day that's going to be the clothing of your eternal home when heaven comes to earth you see i want you to walk the higher road too many people walk the lower road walk the higher road why it might be harder up there but i tell you it's hard to get there but i tell you what the views are better the air is cleaner it's honoring to god and one day that will be your home so wonder this morning how god might be speaking to you what are the things that you would have him take off and help you put on? You see, if there's anything I've learned about change, it's this. Change is hard. 
Change is slow. Change is messy. But nonetheless, change is real. That's why I think it concludes by saying, when you're learning to put on the new clothes, there'll be messes. When you're putting to learn on the new clothes, it'll be hard. But that's why I want you to be kind to one another. Cherish tender feelings for each other. And forgive one another when the old clothing comes back on too easily. Just like God forgave you. We're going to listen to a song in a moment. And I wonder if we might just have some time to pause for God's spirit to speak to you. I wonder if you're here today and you're hearing these words and there's something that he's inviting you and asking you to change and you don't want to. Well, sometimes the place in which where we begin is by being honest with God and saying, God, I don't want to. This feels more powerful than me. But yet at the very same time, you know that's not life-giving. You know that's not God-honoring. And you know they're your old clothes. That's kingdom of earth thinking, not kingdom of heaven living. Well, I wonder today in this moment, if you might draw a line in the sand, that you might do an about face, and that you might start today to make this day the day of change in your life. If change is going to last and be real, it's not just beginning with you. It involves all of us. And it starts with an act of your will to say, God, would you help me? I want to give this up. I want to let this go. And I'm asking for you to renew my mind and to break those powers. I don't know what it is for you. Is it a cutting word? Is it an angry attitude? Is it a chasing after a me and finding love and life in all the wrong places with your body? Is it hooked on something that you watch, a pornography? It seems as though it's grabbed hold of you and bigger than yourself. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's just an inner attitude of pride that says, I've got this, I can do it all my own, and yet that's not true. And the place to begin is at the place of worship and brokenness and gratefulness. I'm not saying these things to shame you. I'm saying it to free you. Today, as you hear these words, why don't you pause? And why don't you ask God to come in and to start the change in your life? Have a listen to these words.